Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensa, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensa is the general overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Uh, what I want to do this evening is finish my 10 factors that affect disciple making, which I started yesterday, and then spend the rest of the time on the personal testimony. The personal testimony. Yesterday, I tried to reason with you why a lot of us are making disciples, but the disciples are not quality and on the way the people just leave us. I try to arrange the factors for you so that you can remember them. I'm using A, B, C, D. On the way, it failed me. The first one, A, is anointing of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, A. B is Bible. Bible. C is church. Church. D is disciple maker. Disciple maker. Now, F, I couldn't get anything for E, but F is fivefold ministry. Fivefold ministry. And G is small groups. Groups. Small groups. Now, yesterday, I started talking about the curriculum, the syllabus, and I'm going to go over it just because there are new people in our midst. If we don't have a CDM, one syllabus which we use, when somebody is discipling one person, you can't hand the person over to another person because you are using a different syllabus. But if we are all using the same syllabus, then we can hand over people to others. Oh, today I can't handle my meeting. Please, can you take it for me? We are on water baptism. The second reason why we need the curriculum is because of what we call the growth mindset. Growth mindset. We must lead the people 
from class 1 to class 2, class 3, class 4, class 5. If you don't teach that way, it is difficult for the people to see themselves growing. You have been hearing some of the testimonies. I myself, I am surprised that you can pick somebody who doesn't know anything from zero as a Christian. And within one year, when that person stands up in any church, in any Christian fellowship, in anywhere in the world, and speaks, people listen. People listen. Why? Because there, there is growth. You can see that there is progressive way in which the things have been ordered. Now, I want to mention this about the syllabus. I am not saying this because I want to put down anybody. It doesn't really matter. And I'm not saying because I want to put down any church. But I want you to understand that many of the groups which make disciples are afraid of the churches. They don't want to offend the church. So they don't want to include in the syllabus for disciple making certain things that will make churches talk. For example, water baptism. The churches are divided on water baptism. So because of that, you want to have a discipleship and live out water baptism. But Jesus was baptized. No church is bigger than Jesus. Therefore, if a church does not like baptism, but the man who bought you with his blood was baptized, should you, because of the church, live out Water baptism. What is that? Then the Holy Spirit baptism. Because churches are divided on Holy Spirit. Some discipling programs, there is no Holy Spirit baptism. They don't want trouble. So they leave it out. But Jesus, when he got out of the water, Matthew 3, 16, 17 says, heaven was open, the Spirit of the Lord descended upon him, in the form of a dove, Luke 4, 1, Matthew 4, 1 says, Jesus, full of the Spirit, was led by the Spirit. He himself said in Luke 4, 18, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He told his disciples in Luke 24, 48, 49, don't leave Jerusalem until you are clothed with power from on high. I send the promise of my Father upon you. So any discipling effort which leaves out water baptism, you leave out Holy Spirit baptism. You are not discipling the people. This is why you disciple somebody and he is nothing. Because the power base he needs to move is not in the discipling curriculum. Then another thing too, which is controversial, and people don't want to include, is deliverance. Free up prayer. They don't want to have anything to do with demons. 
Look, there are at least 3,000 people mentioned by name in the Bible. The person who dealt with demons most and cast out demons most is Jesus Christ. No Christian can be like Jesus if you don't learn to cast out demons and deal with evil spirits. And if there were demons in the synagogue, the chapel of Israel, in Mark chapter 1, 21 to 20, which Ghanaian church can say there are no demons in the church? You lie. You lie. You lie. So, I'm saying this because even our own CDMites sometimes feel shy when they are talking about our syllabus. And I challenge you, if you have a better syllabus, bring it. Let's sit down and talk. So please, use the syllabus as it is. And I agree that cultures are different. Tribes are different. Nations are different. But truth is truth in any market. Jesus is Lord in Alaska. He is Lord in Nigeria. He is Lord in Australia. Every knee bows to him. Second Corinthians 13, 8 says, We can do nothing against the truth, but for the truth. Anything which is not true all the time, and is not true for all people, and is not true everywhere, and is not the only truth, is a lie. 2 plus 2, base 10, is 4 in Melbourne, Australia. Is 4 in Johannesburg, South Africa. Is 4 in Tamale, Ghana. Is 4 in Tunis, Tunisia. 2 plus 2, base 10, must remain 4 to be stable proof. The laws of electricity, they are the same all over the world. The laws of gravity, they are the same all over the world. The laws of hydrodynamics, they are the same all over the world. The laws of aerodynamics by which aeroplanes fly, they are the same all over the world. What makes you think that Bible truth is optional? Because the invisible world produced the visible world. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says. No physical law can be stronger than a spiritual law. Well, so, this is our syllabus. We say that we have the preparatory stage when you prepare the disciple, then we have the foundations where you lay the foundations for the disciple, then we have the growth stage where you teach the disciple things which make you grow spiritually, and then we have the maturity stage 
where you deal with mature Christian topics. So for the preparatory stage, we have Christ-likeness. If anybody is not interested in being like Christ, don't start discipling the person. You are wasting your time. Because Christianity, discipleship, disciple-making is about Jesus. Number two, discipleship. If we don't tell people the cost of discipleship, they are not ready for it. If they are prepared to pay the price, then you can, number three, talk to them about disciple-making. Now, number four, for the preparatory stage, is what we call quiet time. The daily quiet time is a critical aspect of personal spiritual growth. One of the young men I'm discipling has told me that for him he can stay on quiet time for like two weeks, one month. Because he feels once a person grabs quiet time, you are okay for the rest of your life. The daily quiet time. Now, the foundations. I have said it over and over and over that. There are certain people in our churches that can never grow spiritually. It's not a curse. Because the kind of foundation you have as a Christian cannot take a story building. You see? It cannot. It, I mean, I always tell the story. My wife's brother, he lives just across the road here. And when he was building, he got to Linton level and came and told me that, oh, I can tell you, no, I've changed my mind. I want to make it a story building. So I want them to flow it at Linton level so that we will stay on the down floor and then we will add another story. I said, look, you are a very wise young man. Then he left me. By one week, he came back. He told me that the architects say it will not work. The building will collapse. I have to go back, break the whole building, and they will put a new foundation before I can build a story building. There are Christians in church who can never grow spiritually because the foundation they have is on sand. It cannot carry spiritual growth. That's it. They need to redo everything. Some people need to be born again, again. Some people, they need to be water baptized again. You need to go back and work on your foundations. And the foundations are made up of Four experiences, five assurances, and six 
basic Bible doctrines of Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. The four experiences are number one, born again, the new birth, the change which comes when you become a Christ follower. Number two, water baptism by immersion. Number three, Holy Spirit baptism. Number four, healing and deliverance ministration. This is not for any church. It is for every child of God anywhere in the world. This is my 42nd and 43rd year as a pastor. I qualify to talk about what works in Christianity. If your pastor says what I'm saying is not true, tell him we should meet. That's it. Because the matter is not for you to be debating. It's for myself and him. Now, just a little bit about Africa. The bishop of Kenya, Catholic bishop of Kenya, he said after 80 years of Christianity in Kenya, 80% of Kenyans fear Satan more than Jesus. The average African has certain fear of Satan and basic interaction with evil spirits and family that will take like for five generations to remove. I'm glad my big sister is in the room. And she can tell you if I'm telling lies. It was when my mother died. And we buried her. That day, I preached the gospel again to my grandmother. And she said, Kosi, you know, all my life, I haven't served idols. But my first two children died mysteriously. So I went to a fetish priest in your father's hometown to ask for a child. And your mother was born. So because of that, the name of your mother is wife of that faith. I called my mother a vanity all through her life, meaning the wife of the fetish a vanity. I never knew that my mother was dedicated to a fetish. But when my mother died, she was laid in state in the Roman Catholic chapel. So, there are a lot of you sitting here, you testify, I've been born in a Christian home. As for me, I've been a Christian all my life. <laughs> you are joking. 
The fact that you are born in a garage doesn't mean you are a car. And I have been a pastor. I was a born again Christian. My wife was a born again Christian before we got married. We have five children living. None of them was born, born again. Anyway, so those are the first four experiences. Christian experiences. Then we have the five assurances. Assurance of salvation. Assurance of forgiveness of sin. Assurance of answered prayer. Assurance of victory in temptation over sin, Satan, and the world. And assurance of divine guidance. Why assurances? Assurances make you certain in your soul. Some people have received Jesus 10, 20 times. And I'm not telling you stories. I go to our local churches and other churches too. And I just share my personal testimony. And I say, if you are here, you are not born again. Or you are not sure you are born again. Please come forward so that I pray with you. I have seen elders, presbyteresses, uh, choir leaders. My wife is my witness. They come forward to accept Christ again. They are elders of the church, but they are not sure of their salvation. Somebody has to help you and cement assurance of salvation for you. And the same with forgiveness of sins. And when somebody is a weed smoker or a drunkard, a thief, and comes to Jesus. He's always worried whether God has forgiven him or not forgiven him. And he needs help. And these are spiritual things. Now, the final part of foundations is basic Bible doctrines. Now, these basic Bible doctrines are from Hebrews chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Please, shall we read it? Hebrews chapter 6, from verse 1 and 2. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead The foundation of repentance. Did you see foundation there? Repentance from dead works, yes. And of faith toward God. Two, faith towards God. Of the doctrine of baptisms. The doctrine of baptisms. Of laying on of hands. Laying on of hands. Of resurrection of the dead. Resurrection of the dead. And of eternal judgment. Eternal judgment. Look, the Bible says this is the primary school of Christianity. It doesn't matter whether you are a pope, you are a bishop, you are an archbishop. If you haven't mastered these things, you haven't gone to spiritual primary school as yet. And you are not the only church reading the Bible. Other people too are reading it. And Christianity did not originate with you.
So, these are the foundations. Now, the next block we call the growth pillars. They are called growth pillars because whereas the foundation, you do them once. You are born again once. You are water baptized once. You are Holy Spirit baptized once. Those things, you do them once. The growth pillars, you do them every day. They are spiritual disciplines that set your body so that God can give you growth. It's, it's not the farmer who causes cassava, corn, yam to grow. It's not the farmer. But if the farmer plants corn, corn will grow. If you plant yam, yam. If you plant cassava, cassava will grow. Every Christian has power to decide whether to grow or not to grow and what to grow. So, these growth pillars are ten. Number one is obedient mastery of the word of God. First Peter 2.2 2 says, As newborn babes, earnestly desire the sincere milk of the word of God, so that you can grow thereby. I am amazed how when people come to Bible College level 100, we take time to mark their quiet time. But immediately they finish. Even when they get to level 200, they are not having their quiet time again. What are you feeding? Jesus says in Matthew 4, for man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Nobody grows so spiritually that you don't need the Bible. First John chapter 2 verse 14 says, I write to you young men, you are strong. The word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And Hebrews chapter 5 from verse 11 to 14, he says solid food belongs to the mature. People who have been trained to handle the word of righteousness and crack bones and cartilage discs. This is it. So nobody is too young a Christian for the word of God. It's milk. Nobody is too young a youth for the word of God. It makes you strong to conquer the devil. Nobody is too mature for the word of God. Solid food. Solid food. Solid food. It's in the Bible. You read through Hebrews twice and you know you don't know anything. Hallelujah. Now, prayer, fasting, solitude. I am tempted to comment on each of them, but I will just list them for you. I know you know them. I am just refreshing your memory. So, pillar two is prayer, fasting, solitude. Pillar three is fellowship with the Holy Spirit. Pillar 4 is Christ-like character, holiness, righteousness. 
Then pillar five is evangelism, soul winning, disciple making. If you are spiritual, you are church planting. Pillar six is love and Christian fellowship. Pillar number seven is facing life's challenges. You know, as a Christian, how do you face sicknesses, terminal cancer? How do you face the fact that you are going to die? How do you face exam failure? How do you face a business collapse and indebtedness? How do you face being a handicap? How do you face life's challenges? Our master Jesus faced Satan. He faced the grave. He faced the cross. Proverbs 24.10 says, If you faint during a time of trouble, your strength is small. It is when calamity strikes that we know how strong a Christian you are. Because we see how you behave. Then, pillar 8 is Christian stewardship. Stewardship of your tongue, stewardship of your thoughts, stewardship of your time, stewardship of your treasure, stewardship of your talents, stewardship of your spiritual gifts. Because, whether you like it or not, Hebrews 9.27 says, It's appointed unto man once to die. After that, judgment. You have better put it in your diary. Because one day, you are going to give account of every idle word that you have ever spoken. One day, you are going to give account of the thoughts that have passed through your mind. One day, one day, you are going to give account of how you made your money and how you spent your money. One day, you are going to give account of how you use your time. Because everybody has been given 24 hours in a day. Then pillar 9 is spiritual warfare. Warfare against Satan, against sin, and against the world. Worldliness. Growth pillar 10 is ministry preparation. Ministry preparation. That is the time you discuss your life's calling your gifts and the ministry gifts you have and preparing you for it. These are pillars. If you look at these pillars carrying the house now, you look at them. Look at the pillars. They carry the house. And when you see a weak Christian, it's because the pillars have collapsed. Then we say the Christian is a weak Christian. And when Satan comes, he, he takes you like suya, chichinga. Yes. And witches can come and suck you like bentria. Then, the post is the beams for Christian maturity. The maturity beams we try to put you at a place where you are not yet like Jesus in every way. 
Because First John 3, 2 says, when we see Jesus, we shall be like him. So there is a certain level of Christ-likeness you can never attain in this world. But there is a maturity level which Paul calls perfection in Christ, which every Christian should aspire, press on to attain in this life. So, the first maturity beam is doctrinal maturity. If you, your Bible doctrine is weak, you haven't mastered the, the, the ten major Bible doctrines. If your Bible doctrine is weak, it affects the next pillar, which is character maturity. You crack under stress. I normally give the example of somebody who is a virgin because you attended a girl's school. And no serious boy chased you. Then you come to the university. And there are boys there. Serious boys. And they chase you. And you are no longer a virgin. It means you were only a virgin by accident. This is it. You see, now you are not a thief because you don't have money around. But if you are made accountant of a school and students are paying school fees left and right, even when you are in the bathroom, they are bringing school fees. And it's then that you see that you are a thief because you start changing figures. Do you understand? Aha. So, character maturity means that your character is built so that you are among boys, but you are a virgin. You are among money, but you don't take it. You would rather die than steal. You are failing an exam, but you won't cheat. You see? Then, you, you have gotten to a point where your character is, is stronger than the circumstances, the environment. Then, we have ministry maturity Pillar three. Pillar four is intimacy with God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Pillar five is fruitfulness and multiplication. Pillar six is maturity in leadership. Pillar seven, kingdom expansion, expanding the kingdom of God. You are no longer thinking of only your local church. You are now thinking of the globe. How do we finish this work? Then, pillar 8 is kingdom warfare. Fighting principalities and powers. Demonic hosts of wickedness in the high places at strategic levels. Pillar 9, perfection in Christ Jesus. And pillar 10, Finishing well. Finishing well means you must be able to say with Jesus in John 17, for Father, I've glorified you on earth. I've finished the work you gave me to do. You must say with Paul in 2 Timothy 4, 7, I've fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. 
And to me now is laid the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous Lord, will award to me on that day. Well, I have spent uh, the time on the issue of the curriculum. But let me quickly rush through the last four things I wanted to mention yesterday. Number, number seven now is prayer and fasting. Prayer and fasting. Now, Jesus said in Luke chapter 22, verses 31 and 32, he said, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you are converted, strengthen your brothers. Satan takes pleasure in disturbing your disciples. You are discipling somebody. Then the person will come for meetings. Then the person is not serious. Then the person... You, you must know that you have to fight. I have people on my list that I've been praying for for many years. I pray for them every day. I just mention their names. I just mention their names. I tell God about them. I am on it day and night. Day and night. My family members, I don't know how many times I've not gone to God to, to, to tell him. Sometimes two or three times a day. I go and mention, we are 16. And only three of us assure me that we know where we are. The rest are not sure. So, every single day, I try to mention their names before God. Prayer and fasting for the people you are discipling establishes them spiritually. Then, let me talk quickly about number eight. That is multiplication and growth mindset. You know, when you are discipling people and you don't have a mindset for them to grow spiritually, they, they will just be looking at you you, you need to push, shake. Do you see these animals? Dogs, cats, cows, and even the birds. When they bring forth, the children want to breastfeed their, their whole life. But you have to win them so that they can now start taking cocoa. So, there are some people who want to make me their spiritual father. So that 
you know, somebody did it for me in Tamale. He said, oh, you know, Reverend, every morning I will call you so that you bless me before I start my day. And I said, brother, you know, every morning I will give you a Bible verse to memorize before I bless you. And he cut the call. Some people want to be your friends, but they really don't want to grow. They just want you to be their spiritual parent. So that, oh, I need prayer. Oh, I need prayer for this. Oh, pray for me. I need... That's all they want. They don't want to grow themselves. Me, I don't want such friends. Yes. Because they are weights you carry. So you can actually be a pastor of just 50 people. Today, the mother is there. The next day, the uncle is sick. The next day, his son is not going to school. Come and talk to him. Then the third day, oh, my left leg is paining me. Pastor, can you come and pray with me? And then, the, so, instead of evangelizing the world, you, those 50 people can keep you busy the whole time. You are fortunate you are saved. Some people haven't heard it once. Release your pastor so that he can work on them. So, please, you must have a growth and multiplication mindset when you are discipling your people. Um, I know that some people disagree with me. But personally, if I'm discipling you, you are not pulling your weight, I drop you. I pack you. That's all. And I've done it for many people. I don't just call you again. That's all. You say God will punish me. Let's get there. Yes, because there are people who are more interested in growing than you. If you are not interested, why should I waste time on you? You see, I've had groups. I took them like one year, myself, meeting them every day of the week for one year. Then I asked them to go and make disciples. It's almost one year now. Nobody has made any disciples. You are wasting my life. You are wasting my life. I don't. I, I have only one life. I'm passing through this place only once. After this, I'm going to be judged. Why should I waste my life on you if you are not prepared to grow? Why? You are wasting your life and my life. Is that not a crime? You see? So personally, if I notice that you are not interested in growing, I drop you. If I'm meeting with you, I notice you are not a serious disciple. I pack you. That's all. I pension you. That's all. Now, many of us are not that bold. So you carry the people heavy weights. You, you are struggling. This, this, oh, oh, this is my disciple. He doesn't come for me. He doesn't. This. Who says you? Jesus says when you go to any search for somebody who is worthy. Is that not what Matthew chapter 10 verse 11? Let's read it. Matthew chapter 10 verse 11. Yes. Now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy. Inquire who is worthy. Inquire who is worthy. Inquire. Don't just go anywhere. No. Some people are worthy to spend your life on. Some are a waste of your life. Let's read Luke chapter 10, verses 5 and 6. Luke 10, verse 5 and 6. 
But whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this house. And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If a son of peace, a daughter of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. Yes? If not, it will return to you. If not, your peace will come back to you. That's it. So there are some human beings who are sons and daughters of peace, who are worthy. Even the Second Timothy two two. It says that, you know, let's let's all read it carefully. Second Timothy two two. Second Timothy two two. Yes. And, and the, the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men, who will be able to teach others also. Please. Look carefully at this verse. Who is to search for the faithful people? Whose job is it to find faithful men? Who can tell me? Whose job is it? He says, the things you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men. Who should search for the faithful men and get them? Yes, the, Tim, Paul was telling Timothy, you make sure you get faithful men and commit these things to them. But look at the end. Men who will be able to teach others also. If somebody cannot teach others, don't waste your life on the person. When we close, go and take a second look at this verse to see whether I'm misinterpreting it. I would rather teach somebody who can teach another person than teach somebody who is not interested in teaching others. Because when I teach that person, the person is a dead end, a dead sea. Some people are like that. They are in church. They hear good sermons. They are growing fat. They don't share with anybody. Why waste your life on such people? Anyway, then number nine is vision. 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 At the time we are gathering people for discipling. We need to share with them the whole journey. You see, if you tell me, let's go to the beach and enjoy I dress for the beach. I prepare for the beach. When we get to the beach, then we see people shooting. Then you say, hey, did you bring a pistol? You said we should come and enjoy the pistol from where? I don't have a pistol. When you are discipling somebody, tell the person the end. Jesus was very frank with his disciples. 
He told them in Luke 9, 23 that if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. Are you there? Yes. 9.23 Then he said to them all, If anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You take up his cross when? Daily. Daily. Daily means daily. You don't need the Greek and Hebrew. Daily. Following Jesus is a daily self-denial cross-bearing life. Luke 14, from verse 26, 27, 33. Those verses, people feel that it, following Jesus is Jombolijo, or Panlogu, or Bobobo, Timatwe, you know, so Adoa. So when, when they come, <laughs> they are just interested in Adoa. <laughs> you know, yeah. So, I, I've forgotten the northern dances, you know, their names, but uh, you know, they feel that they have come to enjoy Christianity. <laughs> Luke 14, 26 yes. and 27 first. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. If anyone comes to me, he does not hate that means love me much, much more than father, mother, brother, sister, wife, children, and his own life. He cannot be my disciple. He cannot. Cannot means cannot. It's not, you don't need the Greek for that. Cannot means cannot. We are packing the church with people who don't want to be disciples, but they want to be saved by Jesus. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And verse 33 is even more frightening. Verse 33 of Luke 14. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. He says you forsake what? All. All means all. These are very simple words. You don't need somebody to interpret it for you. That's what it is saying. Don't go and ask your pastor. This is what it is saying. Hallelujah. So when you are discipling people, tell them the truth. Tell them in the beginning. If they are not able, allow them to drop off. This is why I told our brother Louis Taranda, from next year, if you come to a retreat without a disciple, if that's your first time, you are okay. But if that's your second time, we meet you at the gate and have a conversation with you. Why for a whole year you were able to, to be in Christ and not to make a disciple. But if you are not able to convince us, we tell you it's okay. CDM can go on without you. But if you, you say, oh, in fact, it's COVID-19, then they can pack you and give you manure. And, yeah, so that you can bear fruit. 
But after that, that's all. Otherwise, we shall carry a lot of cartons around with us. And people who are really not interested in being fruitful. Now, to close this, my real intention this evening was that everybody should learn how to share his or her personal testimony. I told you that we were in Mauritania. I was in Mauritania with my wife, my sister, and children for four years and two months. And it is 99% Muslim. The strongest way to share Christ with people is your personal testimony. There are nine reasons why. Number one, your personal testimony glorifies Jesus. You see, if you, if you go about, say, hey, look at this shirt. This is the shirt uh, Brasset gave me. You. Hey, this is the shirt Brasset gave me. You. Hey, look at this shirt. Is it not nice? This is the you see that Brasset will be smiling. Whenever you share your personal testimony, you glorify the Jesus who saved you. Number two, your personal testimony, nobody can argue against it. Because First John chapter 1 verse 1 to 3 says, what we have seen, what we have heard, what we have touched and handled with our own hands, what we ourselves have experienced of the word of life, that is what we are sharing with you. You are sharing what you have gone through, what you have, how you encountered Jesus in your life. Nobody can argue against it. No Buddhist, no Muslim, no Hindu, no Shintoist, no Jehovah Witness, no Juju man can argue against your personal testimony. But if you use Bible verse, you quote Quran. And the third reason is that. Your personal testimony is a story and everybody loves a good story. People want to hear a good story. Me, I have not met anybody who have told that, oh, can I share with you five minutes? And the person says, no, I don't have to. I have not met anybody like that before. Everywhere I go, I meet people, taxi drivers, watchmen, anywhere. I said, please, do you have five minutes? I want to share my story. Last time we went to eat at the restaurant. And the lady who was serving us came for her money. And I said, oh, please, I want to share five minutes. And she said, yes. And I shared my personal testimony. By the time I finished, she said she wanted to accept Christ. I prayed for her there. And she accepted Christ. That's it. You don't need to go to school. And have a master's degree before you share your personal testimony. But in addition to that, the fourth reason why your personal testimony is critical is that life influences life. You see, it's life which touches lives. Life changes lives. 
So when you tell people your life, it rubs on their life and affects them. If you just go to somebody and say, Roman wrote, Romans chapter 3, verse 23, Romans chapter 6, verse 23, Romans chapter 5, verse 8, Romans chapter 10, verse 9, 10. You, you have told the person the Roman wrote and the way of salvation. But it's not life. Your life, that's why Proverbs 27, 17 says, just as iron sharpens iron, a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. And the next reason, the sixth is that Bible, five, the fifth reason is that the Bible talks about personal testimony. Look at John chapter 4, verse 29. The woman at the well, Samaritan woman. He said, come, see a man who told me everything I ever did. Is this not the Messiah? And the whole city followed her. Look at Luke chapter 8, verse 29. The man out of whom Jesus came legion of evil spirits. He wanted to follow Jesus. And Jesus said, go back. Go back. Luke 8, 39. Go back to your town and village. Tell your family what God has done for you. And the man went to the... Let's read it. Chapter 8, verse 39. Return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city... What great things Jesus had done for him. Yes. Look at Paul. Three times they share his personal testimony. Acts 9, Acts 22, Acts 26. Oh, it's Paul's conversion story. It's very biblical. It's very biblical. But the sixth reason why your personal testimony is critical is that you can always tailor it to suit who you are speaking to. If you are speaking to a youth, there is a way to use your personal testimony to affect the youth. If you are speaking to an old person, the same personal testimony can affect an old person. You see, you can tailor it to affect the person you are speaking to. It's not that you are telling lies. You are telling the truth, but you tell it in context. And the seventh reason why the personal testimony is critical is that you can always finish it between three and five minutes. You can always finish it between three and five minutes. But number eight is when you give a trained personal testimony, it shows people how they too should come to come in a very simple way because of your encounter. And the last major advantage of personal testimony is that you don't create enemies. You are just sharing <laughs> You are just sharing your personal testimony. So the government can come with a law that nobody should preach at work. But you can still share your personal testimony because you are telling a story of your life. Just like he too can tell you what happened yesterday and what his wife did and so on. You are also telling him what happened to you. You are not preaching. <laughs> you are sharing. That's it. 
So everybody is going to master personal testimony before we leave this retreat. Amen? So personal testimony is four things. Number one is your life before Christ. How you were before you met Jesus. Tell us. Give us an idea of who you are, your family or background, so that we can know you a little. One minute. The second part of the personal testimony is how exactly you met Jesus. How did you have an encounter with Jesus? What happened? Where was it? Is it church? Did you read a book? Is it on television? Is it radio? What, what happened? Then the third part of your personal testimony is Tell us the change Jesus has made in your life. Did he heal you? Did he touch your emotions? How did he change your life? Now, the fourth and final part is a Bible verse which means most to you because faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word of God. So manage to get a Bible verse which touched you. You see, this evening I told you that when they were singing the song, Amazing Love, I was weeping. What, what, which Bible verse ministered to you most those days? Now, some people tell me that for me I was born a, a, a Christian. Then you were never born again. I challenge you. If you never knew when you changed, you are not a Christian. If you don't like it, when we close, meet me. If you, because it is only sick people who need a doctor. It is only people who are sinners who need a savior. If you were never a sinner, then you have no savior. Jesus said in Matthew 9.13, I came to call sinners to repentance. If you are not a sinner, Jesus never came for you. So you need to go back into your life and find when you realize that you were a sinner and you were searching for a savior. You need to find out. Even if you can't tell us which date and which day it is, there must be a time when you notice that you were a sinner. And you had a conviction. And you wanted to be saved. And of course, tell us your change. Nobody says tell lies. Some people tell me that, well, my testimony is not bad. It is just ordinary. Oh, actually, I didn't, no thunder fell. I didn't fall like Saul of Tarsus. Nobody is asking you to fall like Saul of Tarsus. You see, God wants to use your testimony and eyewitness account. There are many people going about who think they are born again. But they are not. And you are the kind of person whose testimony can convict them. Because you tell them, oh, I was actually born in a Christian home. They say, yes. Oh, so I grew up in the church. Yes. I was in the choir. Yes. And, in fact, every Sunday we're going to church. Yes. 
You so he is marking your paper for you. Then you say, one day, when they preach, I found out that I, I was still doing those things they were doing. And something started troubling me in my heart. That if, if you die, will you go to heaven? When you start saying that, the person who has been marking your paper also starts marking his paper. So you are not preaching to him. You are telling your story. But it is impacting him and her. Amen? So, please, don't tell lies. The Holy Spirit does not anoint lying. Tell the truth. Tell it as it is. But, make sure that you are able to get the things which matter. I tell people that even the Catholic Pope should be interested in my testimony. Why? Because my brother is a Catholic priest now for over 40 years. And my sister was a Catholic nun for 37 and a half years. I was a mass server when I was 10 years old. And when I was 18, my feet were washed as one of the apostles of Jesus Christ in the Pando Roman Catholic Church. That's how I grew up. My father was the stool father for Roman Catholic Church in our area there. Even as I speak today, he has a grotto at Agbenokwe. One of the stations of Jesus is in his personal name. So, any Catholic in the world should listen to me. At first, I thought I didn't have a great testimony. But when I found out that, I said, yeah. You see, your father is a Muslim. Or your grandfather is a Muslim. Ah! Share your testimony. As you see me here, my grandfather is a Muslim. He is the uh, Al-Haji at our village. You see, your background is critical. Tell us that my father is a Juju man. He is still practicing now. So, even though you don't have any great thing to say, your father, your mother, your grandfather, your grandmother, See, I come from Volta region, the most feared region in the whole Ghana. Huh. You see? So you are building your CV. <laughs> That's it. These are things which you normally will not say, but because you want to tell people that you are not joking. You, if you like, go to my hometown. The chief witch there is my uncle. Yeah. You see? My father's elder brother was the paramount chief of our hometown for years. And right now, as I speak, for over the paramount chief of my hometown is my brother. And when I say these things, all traditional rulers sit up. Because they see that I've come from the inside there. Yeah. So these things, if I don't tell you, you will think I'm just sharing my testimony. But when I say, you sit up. Because you notice that, hey, 
the guy, he knows what he's talking about. So draw on such background and things, you know, bring them to frighten the system and let people see that you are not joking at all. And please, people are debating that. Should you be, should you tell details, my friend? If you are telling your testimony, you don't tell details. Nobody will believe you. Oh, I used to smoke. I used to drink. I used to chase girls. I used to uh, dance. <laughs> Everybody can say that. Everybody can say that. So, the things you are saying, bring at least one support. I was telling them about a pastor friend. He's dead now. He said that he used to drink and his nickname was Polu, meaning busy. And one day, he and his friend, they drank in Accra. And when they were crossing the Achimota rail, the railway, they fell asleep on the rails. They were too drunk to walk. And by 1 a.m., they heard boo 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 And his friend woke up and saw the train coming. And he said, you should get out. You his friend dragged him. Immediately, he, his legs left the rails. The train passed. That testimony is an example of how he was drinking. If you tell me you were chasing girls and you don't say anything to support it, I don't believe you. Are you with me? You are trying to convince people that what you are saying is true. You are not deceiving them. And then you just say, I used to drink. I used to smoke. I used to go to dances. I used to... So what? Get away with your thing. You see? I've shared, I've shared my testimony hundreds of times. And let me tell you, when I finish sharing my testimony, Sometimes I get 40 people coming to see me. People call me from Obuasi, from Takwa. Why? Because my problem was masturbation. And I was masturbating. And I told them. I told people how I was in the classroom. When I was in secondary school from five. I was in the classroom and I masturbated. How I got up, I won't tell you. You see, we were coming back from school, those days, and the bus got to uh, Dansuma. I have an uncle in Dansuma. So I quickly rushed out of the bus when they were bringing down the suitcases of the students and went to the house. I didn't find anybody there. I looked left and right in the bathroom and masturbated before I came back to join the bus again. I'm glad you are saying, hey. So when Jesus saves me from that, I will serve him until I die. You see, this is it. The truth is that I know what a slave I was. If he broke the power of that over my life, then you can afford to take Jesus lightly. I will never do it until I die. I know what he saved me from. Are you with me? And not only the things that you touch, 
you must be aware that in giving your personal testimony, there are many people going around saying they are born again, they are born again. But they are not born again. So, it's not enough to say I'm born again. They don't understand that jargon. Talk about how you were water baptized. Talk about how you received the Holy Spirit. Talk about how you went through deliverance. Talk about how you changed. Because all those things pack the testimony for you. Uh, who was it who came to testify? I think Kofi Oseo. He came to tell us that ah, he never knew he could lay hands on people and then they would uh, fall down. So the first time he laid hands and people fell, he came and looked at his hand. Hey, what is this? You see, this is an eyewitness account. Are you with me? And you must be serious. Pray about your personal testimony and prepare it before you speak. Don't just say, oh, my person, I know my personal testimony. No, pray about it. There are certain things in your personal testimony, when people hear it, it pierces them like a sword. So what are we going to do? When we close, I don't want you to share your personal testimony. Pray. When you get to the, your home, before you sleep, put down on paper things which the Holy Spirit reminds you about your personal testimony. Tomorrow, share with somebody out of court. Just share with somebody that, oh, this is my personal testimony. I'm going to share it in three minutes. I'm going to share it in five minutes. And just share. And let the person tell you that, oh, it's powerful. Oh, this part, I like this part. Say it again, this part. You see, because sometimes we don't know which part of our testimony is cutting people. So, you have to share. As you continue sharing, then you shape it. Then the person will ask you, ah, but you said this. You said you were drinking, but you never told us how you stopped. Are you still drinking? You know? And then they, they, they help you to fine-tune the testimony. It's the most powerful way of winning souls. You can preach to a watchman. You can preach to a PhD. Your professor. You, can, you just share your life. Say, hey, prof, I wasn't always like this. So, hmm, something happened to me. That's why I'm like this. Do you want to hear? They say, yes. Then Anita has started a personal testimony. That's all. And the professor is listening. You see? Doctor. Anybody. And I continue saying it. The person who has been babbing your head. If he goes to hell, God will ask you. The person who you buy bread for, when the person goes to hell, God will ask you. Because you were the closest witness heaven had to that person. Amen. Follow JFK Men's Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.